Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 49 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Today's guest is Jason Kapnick. Jason is one of the co-owners, along with Kathy Dooley, who has been on this podcast, and Joe Buffy, who will be on this podcast, the co-owners of Catalyst Sport in Midtown Manhattan. Now, Catalyst is not only one of the top gyms in the city. The staff is outstanding from top to bottom. But it's also where I do my independent training. And as an independent trainer, I've seen places where you see a high variable of quality in the coaching, like from like shit show to awesome. And it's always awesome at Catalyst. And they're also the, play, the people that host most of my workshops. So most of my workshops in the city are either at MFF Bowery or at Catalyst Sport. So I'm excited for you to hear from Jason. But before we fully get into Jason, let's talk about myself. So. Uh, we're in August, which seems crazy, and I only have a couple of workshops in the States lined up for the rest of the year before I head over to Tokyo in late October, November, and hopefully Taiwan. Come take Original Strength Pressing Reset with me at MFF Bowery on September 16th. Uh, folks, Original Strength is just a very direct, simple way to not just, uh, we're not trying to replace what you do, but to enhance what you do and to make your life easier as a coach working with people. And potentially, especially if you're in the hard style world like me, a different perspective on what strength is, whether it's tension, feed forward, or reflexive strength. Uh, we use the developmental sequence. We talk about your vestibular system and breathing and contralateral movements just to really, I'm going to be honest, enhance the lives of the people you train and maybe make your job better uh, or easier or both, hopefully all of the three, right? So come and join me there. MFF Bowery, Original Strength Pressing Reset. September 16th. And then another big one for me, DVRT, Ultimate Sandbag Training, Certifications, Level 1 and 2 at MSC Strength in Weymouth, Mass. Now, a lot of the times that I'm finding when I, we, we talk about programming at courses or with my online crew, I, tra- I coach a lot of trainers, is we tend to get a little lost on how to progress movement, how to regress movement, how to strategize different things to build towards an end goal, as opposed to just doing more of the same. And I don't mean random acts, but like really how to like break apart movement in a way that is uh, direct, makes sense, is safe, and works for your client. Um, DVRT provides that, right? So forget about the sandbag. DVRT stands for Dynamic Variable Resistance Training. We really look at a rounded, well-rounded view of movement as opposed to just the big six of kettlebell land or the big three of barbell land. Um, Not putting those things down, but to have an expanded world view, right? Um, Great photographers tend to not have one lens. They have many. And it's using the right lens to meet a person's goal. So come and check this out on September 22nd and 23rd at MSG Strength and Weymouth Mass. And you're also gonna find out how awesome the Ultimate Sandbag is as, a, as an implement when put to use through the lens of this system. But it's also a way you can look at stuff no matter what you're doing in terms of looking at movement. So I don't want you to just think it's solely a sandbag user course because it's so much more and really had uh, a dramatic impact on me as a coach right out the gate. I wouldn't be where I'm at, not as a presenter. I wouldn't be where I'm at as a coach on the day-to-day without having taken this with Josh years ago. So come and take that in September. Then I'm going to be off to Japan and hopefully Taiwan. And then when we come back so far, 2019 starting to line up. RKC at Momentum Fitness. Thanks, Marco. Um, March 2nd and 3rd. So that's a lot that's going on course-wise. Also, come and take some personal training with me. If you're practicing for a hard style cert or your own ultimate sandbag cert, uh, 
I've got those techniques pretty well in hand to coach the shit out of them and help you crush your Surter course. If you just have questions, need programming, want accountability. So I've got personal training and small group classes here in Brooklyn, in the Gowanus area of Brooklyn. And then I've got online coaching if you can't get to me. So you got ways, right? Just go to coachfury.com and everything's there, including every episode of this show. Now, big things are happening here, right? We're about to hit our 50th episode, if you don't count the bonus episodes that weren't numbered. And we're also about to hit our first full freaking year of this show without missing a week. So thank you all for listening. And I'm going to say thank you, and I'm going to ask for a small favor. If you have listened to three or more, right? If you've listened to three or more of the episodes of this show, please head on over to iTunes and subscribe and rate it, if not review it. That stuff helps us get in whatever magical algorithm and helps us get to more people. I'm not looking to make money off of this, but I think sometimes we talk about cool stuff that'll help people and it gets the word out on coaches that you might not normally be hearing their names on some of the other shows. So um, just take a moment to just hit subscribe and if you feel like uh, five stars, boom. And I would super appreciate it. But even if you don't do it, you're awesome. And I thank you for listening to the show. And I'm going to stop rambling as I bring you episode 49 with Jason Kapman. With Ray Delaney, which I don't think is happening anymore. It's a shame. That was a, a decent show. Um, he was, it was the first podcast that I got to be on. And Ray was like super professional about it. And he sent me like a whole info sheet and uh, microphone suggestions and stuff. Yeah. Uh, really dialed in. And so I used that, that literally that headset that he was a $30 one. I used okay. probably for the first 35 episodes of the show. So thank you, Ray, for this suggestion. <laughs> and then uh, as it started getting more like, I'm really loving doing this, people seem to be listening to this. Uh, I'd always been saying, if you want to become a Patreon, this is not a sales pitch, listeners. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can go to patreon.com. I would like to improve the quality of this show. And, uh, Thanks to Victor, Julian, Ray, and Brian, I was able to get a new mic. So thank oh, you. Oh, cool. Are we live right now? <laughs> sort of. I mean, we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, uh, I don't like to do the whole like, uh, it catches people off guard, but like, I don't like to do the whole like, and now we go because then it's like, it sets up this like, we're in a show mode. Right, right. And one of the interesting feedbacks that I get sometimes is people like, generally always seem to love being on the show and then they have this like, sometimes it's like, and this isn't a pressure thing for you where they're like, oh, I think I could do better next time. And I'm like, we're just having a conversation. You right. can't, you don't do a conversation better. And right. you know, it's not a Q and a, it's not some str strict educational format, although I hope somebody learns from it, but the goal is that people get to know my buddy, Jason. So cool. listeners, my buddy, Jason Kapnick, <laughs> say hi, Jason. <laughs> hey everyone. So uh, I'm going to set this up a little bit. Um, for the eight years that I've been in this industry, um, as a part-time or full-time coach, uh, I have only worked technically at three gyms, um, and only two of them were staff. And that was five points Academy and then Mark Fisher fitness and catalyst sports. Basically all along has been sort of like adjunct home where I would do independent training, uh, and you guys, they would host my workshops. And I met Kathy Dooley first, who was one, you know, on this guest pre uh, on the show previously. And then I actually met Jason and Joe Boffy, the other two partners, uh, at the same exact time when we were all getting fixed by Kathy. That's right. <laughs> At New York sports clubs. Yeah. It's like nothing like awkward, like three strong dudes getting fixed up by Kathy. Right. We just <laughs> I, like, yeah. And I was training Kathy at the time. That's when she was training for her, 
uh, what was it, our SFG2 or was it RKC2 at that point? I don't remember. We got to know each other all around the, the split. Yeah. Well, I know that Kathy and I did the SFG2 together, but I think when I met you, I almost think I hadn't even done my RKC1 yet, but then I think I must have. Um, I feel like you were already a beast tamer at okay. that time. Because so, that SFG2 that you were at, I was an assistant instructor on your team. That's right. Uh, we were st- lucky to be you know, on Doug's team. I fucking love Doug. Doug's awesome. Um, Doug announced sort of like his... Uh, not reti- I guess, what do you call it? Retirement from Strong First yeah. recently? Whatever. Still doing other stuff. I guess, huh? Resignation, I guess. Um, under good circumstances from what I understand. But uh, Doug was like, I-, I remember going to that cert and I just offered to help and I was supposed to be on like kind of admin deal there. And then Nikki Snow, Mark's wife, was pregnant. Right. And they needed a little extra backup because she wasn't feeling great. So I got on Doug's team, which was like actually like who I wanted to be on because Doug was the one that I didn't know there. Okay. Um, and then that ended up being you were on that team. Um, Charlie Weingroff was on that team. That's right. Anna was on that team. Jason Pack. Jason Pack was on that team. Yep. I'm like, fucking A. That's the great thing about these. Michael Rossler was on that team. Oh, yeah. Gosh, man. What a that good- was a good team. That was a great cert. That was a great weekend. And I'll say for that one, that was the, oh, and fucking Sam Griffiths, who hasn't been on this show yet, but Sam left and would end up training with me forever. Sam was the Brit. There's so many cool people. I don't remember one. him. And, um, oh, wait, no, he, he was at the level one. Sorry, that was both. Okay. But that was the first SFG2. And, I rem- like, in the States, I think they yes. might have done one weirdly in, like, did they do one in, like, South Africa or something? I, was say, I, I thought it was, like, Poland or something, like, some, some country that, yeah, you know. Yeah, maybe it was Hungary with, maybe, uh, yeah, something like that. I thought it was in Europe, but it could have been South Africa, too. Maybe they did both. It could have been. And then, so that was the first one in the States. And I, I just remember it being like a pretty epic crew. Um, and uh, it was a really fun one. Like, I think that was like that sweet spot where like everything was like supercharged and super new in terms yeah. of the split. Um, and I remember being really stoked to be on your team on that. That was the first of many snatch tests you've counted for me. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the cool things about the show, and I actually had this idea, and I might put this into action is, is you know, when people assist at workshops, right, or certs, whatever it might be, you know, I've seen assistants assist, and I'm sure you have seen this too, where the assistant comes in as an assistant coach and has the ego as if they're part of the leadership team. Yeah. Like, yes, they are helping the leadership team, but we're not paid employees at that right. point. Like, we are basically just on another level of learning, going through it a second, third, however many times, sharpening. And, and you, when you assist folks uh, uh, for the RKC and SFG, you recertify the day before. Um, and instead of going through the course as a recert rate, you work for free to recertify. And for me, that is the only reason why I'm here is because I kept trying to get as many assisting options as I could, uh, opportunities as I could, so that I could learn more because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing because um, this was my second career. And... Uh, you get to meet people like Jason, who I've been fortunate enough, not only like, again, I was an assist instructor when he was going through his level two, but Jason would go on and assist me at courses. And it's not like, again, like that whole like ego thing of being an assist instructor, like Jason's a better, stronger coach than I am um, with more skin in the game. It's just, I had the chance to assist and then he had the chance to assist. So it's very cool to a get to work with you on many levels. I appreciate like, it. It's awesome. Um, because our first session together actually was was uh, you guys, you and Joe did uh, Indian clubs. You came down to right. Yeah, that, I remember that. Five that. Points, right? That was at five points. Yeah, 
Well, let's back this up a little bit, right? So Kathy is our connector here. How did you meet Kathy? I met Kathy. So Joe had gone to a workshop. It was a Dave Whitley um, workshop. It wasn't associated with, with RKC or SFG. Uh, I think it was one of those ones where he showed uh, you know, some of his breathing stuff and some of his, I'm not sure if he showed bent press stuff at that, but um, our mutual friend, Ari Harris, um, who's you know one of the great kettlebell instructors I've ever met, um, he took Joe to that workshop and I think Kathy had produced that workshop. She had rented the space and she had coordinated with Whitley and um, she had, you know, handled all the payment or whatever. She had put that workshop on. And um, so Joe came back from this workshop and it was like, Hey, I met this lady and she's an anatomy professor and she's a chiropractor and she's a movement person. And Oh yeah. Also she's super strong. And like, you just have to meet this lady. Um, and like, just like going on all week about like, you know, oh, she said this and then, and um, so this was when Joe and I were getting ready for the RKC one. We did our RKC in, I think it was April of 2013. So we're probably talking like January, February uh, of that same year, 2013. And, you know, we had kind of set a date, I believe it was a Friday afternoon and, and Ari and, and Dr. Dooley and Joe and I were like, you know, we were going to work out and we ended up, um, we did like a circle of swing and then we did, um, we did a deck of death and we, you know, at some point it was like, all right, we're, guess we're committed to doing this entire deck here. Um, and, and for any listeners that don't know what the deck of death is, uh, what you do is you'll assign a certain exercise to each suit of the card. So for example, diamonds might be snatches and, you know, hearts might be goblet squats. So if the, the four of hearts comes up, you would do four goblet squats. If the, the seven of diamonds comes up, you would do seven snatches, et cetera. So we started working through this deck and, and realized that this is going to take a while, but um, <laughs> at some point committed to finishing the entire deck. So uh, the four of us were working out for, for probably close to three hours and like going hard too. Like I remember, you know, being two hours into it and doing get-ups with the beast. I think that's what the jokers were. And, um, you know, after all that, uh, Dr. Dooley assessed me. That was the first time she had assessed me. And it was like, just this kind of like eye-opening thing of like all these things of, of, about my body and about my movement patterns and about my alignment that I had kind of like felt on like a, a almost pre-verbal level that she was able to say, oh, you don't do this, this, and this. And it made all these amazing connections. Um, you know, I remember she assessed my rotation and uh, you know, going to do a rolling pattern and like just cramping extensively and not even able to do a rolling pattern. Um, you know, and keep in mind at this point, um, you know, I was all state midfielder in lacrosse. I, I played division one sports. Um, I was already, you know, deadlifting into the six hundreds at this point. Like I, I had gotten pretty far as an athlete, um, on what turned out to be a pretty shaky foundation. And, um, so Dooley assessed me and I was just like blown away with, with, you know, her findings and just how like intelligent and in depth it was. And, um, you know, we all, we ended up going to Bear Burger after the four of us, I think my wife joined us at that point, I guess she wasn't my wife then, but, um, and that was when Dooley said to me like, Hey, like, are, are you going to do beast tamer, um, at the RKC in two months? Um, and I was like, well, you know, I, I, I can't do a pistol squat, um, you know, for, for some of that don't know me. Um, I walked on my toes until I was like eight. Um, 
you know, I was a, probably a good case of someone who didn't crawl enough and just started walking too early. Is that true? You so, so what caused you to crawl, walk on your toes? Was it just something you picked up as a habit? Like, you know, I think that I was probably as a baby, similar to as I am as an adult of kind of just go, go, go a little bit. Um, you know, I think I did get put into one of those jumper things and, um, you know, just kind of walked on my toes as a kid. Uh, I, I remember at one point in kindergarten, they called my mother and, and said, Hey, like, we've noticed this thing, your son walks on his toes. And, um, you know, would go to the doctor every year, they'd say, oh, give it another year, give it another year. And, and then finally, by the time I was eight, and I was kind of still walking on my toes, it was like, all right, well, you know, maybe we should go to an orthopedist. Uh, and the orthopedist is like, what are you doing? You should have been here years ago. Like, you're, you know, this is like kind of the last, like, you need to have this Achilles tendon surgery, you know, now or never. Uh, so when I was eight, I had, they call it a Z cut surgery. Basically, it's a, a way of cutting and modifying the Achilles tendon so that it's longer to, to provide, you know, wow. more flexion at the ankle. I had no idea about this. You didn't know that? Yeah. So no. that's, so like my ankle flexibility, like, you know, it, it's not as good as some, like, you know, that surgery, it, it definitely helped. Um, I was, you know, I had this surgery, I was in casts for a couple months, both legs. Uh, I actually <sighs> broke the cast jumping off a swing set because I, you know, still wanted to go out and play with my friends and, you know, be eight years old and whatever. And, um, kind of didn't think twice about it really like they kind of told me you know hey once you have this surgery you're going to be kind of 95 percent and um I, I was like super into like anatomy and like muscles and skeletons as an eight-year-old uh your listeners can't see this i have a skeleton poster behind me um I, I still think all that stuff's just the coolest so i remember being like very into the process as an eight-year-old and like you know, my, my parents still laugh about like the doctors, like, do you have any questions? And my question was, what's the difference between a, a tendon, a muscle and a ligament? Um, <laughs> just cause it was like, Oh, here's my chance to ask the doctor this thing I've been wondering about. Um, so yeah, like I kind of didn't really ever think twice about it again. It was like, okay, you say I'm 95%. I believe you. Uh, there were definitely some things that looking back, like maybe I, I could have realized it like distance running was something that I think was more challenging for me than, you know, for a lot of other people. I think I had a lot of loss of energy return at the ankle that just made it that much harder for me. Uh, I remember I did high school football for one year. We had overhead squats, um, you know, with a barbell in the program. And I remember just not being able to do that and just not really having any concept for, for why or what. That was high um, school? That was high school, yeah. Now, let me ask you this, because like, I've never had a program like that. I was never part of a team or anything. On our weightlifting program, when we did have one, it was by our social studies teacher. <laughs> um, I'm forgetting what his name was, but he was awesome. Like, uh, So this is going back into the 80s. This would be the mid to upper 80s. And this dude was one of those guys that had that classic American look of like, you know, it's just yeah. like the, the hair, the mustache. Sure. And what you didn't realize, like he was diesel oh yeah right? like but you had no idea you were just like he's a teacher and then he would go into the gym and you'd be like holy shit he's jacked um and so he would sort of like guide us along but i, I can't even remember if it was a specific program or if he just sometimes like helped support the kids to get some lifting up but like i, I can't imagine like was the coaching level good and for like something no i mean i think it was like it was cool in that I was introduced to lifting weights at um you know a young age i think that 
like, I don't really know that I ever got any coaching from coaches. I think it was more from, from upperclassmen, um, which at the time they like seemed so experienced, but now it's like, Oh, like you're talking about like a 17 year old. Um, so I, I think I learned some good things there. I think I learned some really bad things too. Um, you know, like the squat rack had a sign, you know, maybe 10 feet up on the wall that said, look here. And the arrows were pointing up. So like, <laughs> you know, like no, don't even look 10 feet up, like keep looking up. Um, you know, like I learned to deadlift by, you know, get into position, you know, <laughs> try to do it like a squat. Cause you want to use your legs, of course. Um, and then look up as high, like look up at the ceiling. Like if you can crank your neck further, like and, and it worked in some ways. And I had a lot of neck pain over the years that just, you know, didn't necessarily connect the two. At some point, uh, I actually think it was Ari who suggested like, hey, maybe like you ever tried deadlifting with, with not so much neck extension? And literally like the first time I did it, I was like, oh, this is, this is just a better way to do this. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how certain things are just, I mean, I guess it's like with anything, not just fitness, but things are accepted as practice. Just yeah. whoever decided to do this, it were, you know, someone picks up a tip, ill-advised or not, 10 years ago, and yeah. that becomes something they carry, and then they share it with somebody, and then it just becomes like a thing, right? Like, at MFF, when, uh, we noticed, like, every now and then there'd just be this wave of ninjas that would put, when they would set up for their swings or their bent over rows, they would put, like, the opposite arm behind their back, right? Yeah. If it was a one-arm swing or a row, to try to create a neutral spine, but, it, 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 you know it actually does the opposite right shoulder in a weird position it actually feeds like an actual flutter to, to round right and uh we're all like where did they learn that uh-huh and it was like it's, it's like one of those things like you have ninja zero who does it someone looks at ninja zero thinks that looks like a thing that's going to help my problem and all of a sudden it just becomes over the course of like you know three four months it becomes a thing and then you have to sort of educate beyond it but like in a high school level I've never had anybody like educating me on lifting. Like yeah. I can't think of a single person that ever gave me any sort of setup advice. You know, it was all like you got those shitty, you know, bench presses from like Sears or JC. Yeah. Or someone would have that, sh- like our gym had that universal machine, you know, and you would get yeah. so stoked when you could tricep extension. You yeah. The plates and stuff. But like, yeah. you, you didn't have any sort of lifting education really like that. It was interesting. It was like, the program itself, man, like, I wish I like could get a copy of that program. I remember thinking at the time that it was just like too much volume, too much repetitive. Um, and, and keep in mind my context, like my main source of education outside of that was bodybuilding magazines where it's like, Hey, you know, you train legs once a week, you have a leg day, you have a chest day. Yep. So I remember being frustrated with that, um, strength program from the football team. And this is like literally the one year I ever played football. Basically um, the old coach retired, the new coach came in. He was a really good dude. He was one of the gym teachers. And basically no one was playing football in our town because they hated the coach before him. And, and when he came in, a, a lot of the high school guys from other sports, you know, did football for the first time. Um, I remember not, I remember being frustrated that I wasn't getting stronger or making progress or hmm. probably more important to me at that age that I wasn't putting on muscle and getting bigger. Um, so even with the volume, you weren't putting on muscle, you know, I just, uh, who knows? Like, was I, was I not ask if that was like a, a hypertrophy armor building strategy before they probably had the term armor building. 
it's so funny because it's like I just had no context or cognitive framework for what was going on then outside of bodybuilding. And then, you know, once I, so that, like I said, that was the only year I played football. So kind of after that season ended, um, that was when I got more into like, you know, bodybuilding stuff and and, and saw a lot of success. Like by the time I was a senior in high school, I had, you know, put a lot of weight on my lifts and, and, and added a lot of muscle to my frame. Um, you know, I was probably 155, 160 pounds as a sophomore. Um, I, I did my senior lacrosse season at like 192. Um, you know, and, and a much, a much leaner 192 than probably the 160 was. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's so funny when I think about it now, like, you know, having this conversation is probably the first time that I thought about it in, in, in years that in some ways I was lucky that like, yeah, we were squatting and, and we were deadlifting. Like, I think we were even doing cleans, uh, barbell cleans, which I think I remember conceptualizing as a shoulder exercise. <laughs> Um, ballistic shrug right yeah yeah sure it's like you know it's like an upright row but faster um (laughs) and then you turn it over so so yeah so but that was like kind of one of the few examples um to, to kind of go back to how we got on this topic one of the few examples of like hey here's this overhead squat i can't do it i have no idea why i have no and i think you know it was almost certainly that i was so restricted at the ankle um so, and then to circle us all the way back to, to how I met Dr. Dooley, who, who introduced me to you, is that really until I met Dr. Dooley, it wasn't like I really thought of that as a restriction. And, and it's not like she introduced this to me as like, hey, here's this limitation you have. It was like, oh, hey, here's this thing. And if you work on it, it's going to unlock a lot of power for you and unlock a lot of athleticism. Um, so she had said to me, you know, this was on a Friday, like, are, are you going to do Beast Tamer in two months? It's like, well, I, I can't do a pistol. I've never done one before. Um, you know, uh, I have this lack of ankle flexibility, um, which she and I had just talked a bunch about in this initial assessment. Um, she says, well, you got two months to work on it. All right. Um, so she had given me drills, which uh, included the rolling patterns, which, which, like I said, caused cramps the first time I did it. <laughs> Um, you know, for those that don't know how Dr. Dooley works, um, you know, in, a, in addition to being a, a really gifted manual therapist and chiropractor, um, what she's more known for and, and, and what really sets her apart is that she provides movement re-education, that she's going to give you drills that are going to change the way that your body moves. And, um, you know, like anything else, you're, you're going to get out what you put in. Uh, so I had these drills and I started doing them 10 times a day, you know, like every hour, basically, uh, I was lucky in that I was working at a gym at this point. Um, and I just did them 10 times a day. So I went from never having done a pistol before on, you know, this Friday to the next, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday. I, I did a pistol with a beast. Um, it, it was <laughs> crazy. <that> yeah. it- <laughs> Because, you know, I was, I was a 500-pound squatter already at that point. See, I'm going to say this. So I have a way of looking at loads when people look at kettlebells and get, like, um, you know, overwhelmed by, like, maybe the size of the kettlebells. Like, they just look heavier than they actually are sometimes because yeah. it's in a ball. But, like, Jason's one of the guys that actually opened my eyes up and he had wrote a blog. I think the, I think the blog was for Dragon Door, right? It was for the, about prepping for the RKC using yeah. barbell lifts. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you want to have the technique of how to do a kettlebell swing, but folks, you want to make your snatch test light. I can have a heavy deadlift. Yeah. I mean, how heavy is a 24 K kettlebell if you've got like a double body weight deadlift? 
you know, so it's put in perspective. So I could see you having that strength, but I didn't realize, I didn't realize a, how severe your ankle thing was from a childhood thing. Cause I I knew that Kathy had cleared your ankle up, clean your ankle up in terms of movement wise to get the tamer uh folks for those that are listening that aren't in <laughs> man, the beast tamer challenge is a 48k 106 pound kettlebell you do a single kettlebell press to lockout standing overhead you do a pull up a strict tactical thumbs thumbless grip palms out pull up with it around your waist so it's a 106 pound loaded kettlebell pull up and then a pistol squat which is a single leg squat below parallel while holding the kettlebell um for women it's the same movements but with the 24k and they call that the iron maiden and um i think you were my first like friend that did it yeah interesting i don't know if i yeah i think i think actually you must have done it either right around the time i met you or just after because i remember yeah. seeing pictures of it because they you know they, they they made a big deal about it and in the kettlebell world it's a way to put your name on the map yeah pretty quickly yeah, I feel like, I think, you know, John told me, John Duquesne had told me that I was the 17th person or something to do it. And I think, you know, based on, at this point, Strong First keeps a, you know, a list of everyone who's done it at the certification. That, that math seems about right. But I feel like I was one of like the first people where like really went around Facebook and social media a lot where like, you know, Ari had a lot of Facebook following and, and, and Dooley obviously has a big Facebook following. And like, you know, those guys being my friends kind of put it on their Facebook pages. And like, I just felt like I got all this attention where I, I'd been aware of the challenge for a really long time. I mean, it goes back to like probably like 2000s, you know, RKC. I mean, uh, I've, I've trained for it. I've trained for it at your place. And every time I've either gotten hurt or got sidetracked from something um i'm a classic example of easy strength training in the 80 percent maximal yeah. range which it's not supposed to be um <laughs> and i remember the first rkc actually that i co-led with josh at your place uh i was training to get it and i had right. everything on point i was like a bell away from the pistol and the pull-up was a challenge and then i i, I tore a muscle in my forearm i remember and, that and totally sidetracked like my pull-ups i mean this is partly just how my training's been but my pull-ups haven't really been the same since. I, I don't mm. load them the same way. My elbows seem a little bit more like, I don't know if it's an age thing, not that I buy into that card so much, but like they just seem a little bit more prone Yeah. to get pissy at me. Um, I still think one day I'll do it. I got, yeah, I'm sure I got so close. I mean, I, I know you've done the pistol and like, I mean, I've seen you press the 44 for like, what, like five, six reps. Even. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I think, no? My, oh no, 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 no. Uh, I think, I think the 42, I think I have a three rep max. Okay. That's um, still pretty good. <laughs> sorry for the 44. I think a three rep max. Um, 48 is still singles. Um, I haven't done that in a while uh, since all the gravesy tremory stuff started hitting in, but I, I would imagine I could probably pull that for a single now. I'm back up to like a working volume. So like I probably got like a 10 to 12 rep max with a 32 at this point, which nice. would, you know, I've done, I guess, five rep max on a 40. So I think that could probably, if I come in fresh, have a beast press again. Yeah. Pistols have been a little hard for me because when, I, when the tremors came in, um, when the tremors came in with the Graves disease, before I realized what it was, uh, you know, try tremoring at the bottom of a pistol. Yeah, right ankle wants to shake anyway and then everything starts going crazy so i'm still working on that but uh one day you know the the, the press always came easy for me pull-ups and chin-ups have always been a struggle 
Um, part of that's because I just tend to run heavy. Yeah. Part of it's because I don't tend to love practicing them. Um, like that's the thing that I have to put on my mission. Yeah. There's some like childhood shit with me where I was one of those kids that was never into fitness. You know, I'd go through bouts like where we, you know, as, as kids in the eighties, you want to be a little bit more like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or Stallone and you, sure. that you're, you know, with your friend's dad's weight kit in the basement or a couple of times at the school gym, but I never really invested. I was always skateboarding. So pull-ups and that stuff never came quickly. And I was always a chubby kid until a certain point in late high school, the skateboarding. And I guess maybe I had a growth spurt, whatever. I finally started leaning out based on all the fitness I was doing, which wasn't fitness, but it was skateboarding, right? Like sure. I would literally skateboard 10 hours a day. That's awesome. And, um, and thinking about it back, like we would skateboard miles and then skate tricks for hours and then skate miles. So that definitely had to pay off and like why i have big thighs now um, <laughs> is still i think because of skateboarding it has nothing to do with any of the kettlebell stuff but then i did bodybuilding at, right after high school my friend domel and i got right into like we, we started at the valley's jack lane started going five to six days a week doing the splits yeah you know three days on one day off and because i had no education like i didn't know that it was bodybuilding or i didn't know there was a difference between weightlifting bodybuilding powerlifting right it was all just bodybuilding to us but that was weight training we had no idea right that's so lift, lifting you know being so stoked about hauling heavy weight on the crunch machine okay yeah <laughs> but i got like shredded for a while and then you know my whole thing is is i got into the workforce and you know married life and all that stuff and i just got you know more banged up from skateboarding and bmx and fatter and i just you know, again, my whole thing is just that whole strong dad thing. Like literally I was like, I got to change that shit around. So, um, one day I'll get that, but my goals are different, especially after the thyroid thing where I, I just want to be strong again. Yeah. I'm not really concerned aesthetically. The only aesthetic thing I have is like, as a coach, I know we're supposed to model that we walk what we walk, but like, you know, when I go and press a kettlebell a certain amount of times at a certain amount of weight with solid form, I think I walk the walk pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, versus somebody that could be like super shredded and kind of weak. You know, like, yeah, I'm not judging them, but like, that's kind of useless to me. You know, it's like, I, there's like that fine line between like, yeah, like, listen, like you don't want an out of shape, you know, personal trainer any more than, you know, you're going to take investment advice from a homeless person. But like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I work out at a commercial gym, like I've spent a lot of time in commercial gyms and like, you know, anyone who spent any amount of time in, in, in those boxes, there's a lot of trainers that look great and they don't know their ass from their elbow that they just have good genetics or, you know, they're athletic and, you know, they've found something that works for them, but they're not really able to help their clients. And, and something that I think, you know, you've really put out there and done such a good job with is that like personal training is not about the trainer. It's about the client. It's about helping people. And, um, so yeah, there, there always is that kind of weird, you know, dichotomy between like, yeah, like it is about me to the extent that I want to live my brand authentically. And like, I, I want to be a good example, but at the other side of it, like, it's not really about me. It's like, you know, who knows what my genetics are compared to someone else's genetics. And like, you know, um, I've had clients that are, you know, more ripped than me and, um, I'm still able to help them. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, and what is like, actually like, the results that we're trying to portray too, right? So right. If, uh, if a trainer's super shredded and they're not really enjoying their life, you know, like uh, in terms of like meals, socializing, whatever, because that is part of it, right? Like, yeah. To stay shredded, you have to be, but my, like also like in terms of being a representative of what we do. So you're spending 
all this extra amount. I'm, and I'm not like, folks, I'm not putting anybody down here, but I think this is a perspective that doesn't get viewed at, right? So we're trying to represent what we're selling to people. But if you're spending like so much time hyper monitoring your food where you're not going out, you're not having fun when you want to have fun, you don't have kids, you're, you know, you work at the gym, not that that's an easy life at all, but like you work at the gym, the person you're training might have like, you know, a 12 to 14 hour a day job, three kids, bills, like they're, and, and that time that they get to eat with their family and maybe have pizza, that might be like the best time of their week. Right. So remember, it's like the movement and the fitness and the advice is the part, but like you aren't necessarily modeling what that person's going to aspire to. Yeah. The impact on their life will be too great in a potentially negative way. Yeah. Right? So I always look at it like this, like, so this is my goal with anybody. Cause you know, this dude, like, I don't know how many people come to you for nutrition advice. Like nutrition's always my, my personal weak link. Like I, I like to eat crap with my kids. Um, I try to perpetually clean it up. I like beer a lot. <laughs> um, but my takeaway is this. People come to me to either lose weight, get strong, or put on muscle mass, or move better for the most part. The one thing that I can guarantee them is to move better and get stronger. Two things, mm -hmm. right? I can guarantee that. I can't control, I can give advice, but I can't control, and I'm not a licensed nutritionist or dietitian yeah. anyway, I can't control what they do the remaining hours of the day, the week, the yeah. month, the year, right? And I don't want them to feel shitty for that as long as we set the expectation up that like, look, if you want to lose this weight, but you're doing this, you're not going to lose the weight or it's going to take eight times longer than it would if you yeah. do. But if you're happy now, my thing is, is like, if you focus on the movement and the strength side of it, you know what? They might not, they might get fired from their job one day and not afford us. Right. But they're still going to have those skills now of strength and mobility to keep with them that I think carry on longer than the 10 pounds they might've lost with us. Right. Yeah. Feels bake in, in a way that muscle memory, the greasing of the groove, whatever. And I think that's like a really important thing. So, you know, I, I do think like we want to be a representative, but also like, I think some of the things that people relate to me is like, they, you know, two kids, you know, yeah. people saw me rock this through a divorce, you know, remarried with Kim. Like I can, totally relate to anybody's real world stressors uh, i'm also older you know i'm yeah 46 i know i live 21 <laughs> um you know and have had a couple of surgeries right and significant ones yeah so like they can relate to me on that front but you're also a guy who has like a lot of interests of like movies and comics and all like these yes. cool things and like sometimes i meet these guys who are like you know, they're trainers and they're shredded and they've got their meal prep down. And it's like, they're sitting there on the subway and they're thinking about push-ups. you know, it's like, there's just nothing like, we all know these fitness people, like a lot of times, like, you know, people that compete in, in figure fitness, like not to take anything away from them, where it's just like, this is just like, this is your entire life. And like, that's cool for you. Like how many people from the general population are going to relate to like, like literally like your great passion is your physique and like all the more power to you, but like, that's just not me. And that's not really anyone from the general population that I've, I've really ever met um, that, that want to approach fitness in that way. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you're that specialized, like on a competition level and, and you know, we talk about, you know, we, this has come up on the show. Like I don't teach people, the back squat, unless they're interested in powerlifting to compete. Yeah, me neither. Right? Like if somebody comes to me because I just don't think it's that valuable of an exercise for a gen population person. Yeah. But certainly if you're going to compete in the sport of powerlifting, the risk reward shifts because you want to compete. Yeah? yeah. Like there's those things like, um, 
So I think that's it. The other thing, and, and this has been cool, I don't, I don't want to name them because I don't know if they'll feel bad, bad, but we've had a couple of people go through certs that you've been a part of yeah. that I have spoken with beforehand that might be on the heavier side that were strong, moved really well, but had that lack of confidence because yeah. of like their physique, right? Like I'm over, you know, I'm overweight or somebody might think less of me. I don't know if I'm this, blah, blah, blah. I'm an enthusiast. I'm not a coach. And those people time and time again, turn out to have the best technique, yeah. be way strong on the majority of the lifts, and also be excellent coaches because they are relatable, because they appreciate it on a different level. Yeah. And uh, folks, if you know who you think I might be talking about, I am and I love you. And I think it's like important to have um, you in this world of fitness. Because uh, that is the important thing to me too. And you can look great and you can move great. And if you can't communicate it to somebody else, you're a shit coach. Right. Let's just be honest. Like right. if you can't talk it to somebody, like you're a race car driver and not, not a race car teacher. <laughs> Is that a fucking thing? Race car instructor. Someone's <laughs> got to teach them how to drive it, right? Someone's <laughs> got to teach, right? <laughs> Isn't it? What's his face? It's uh, it's, that's the sequel to days of thunder directed by me and you where, uh, the Tom Cruise race car movie. He's now a race car driver teacher. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You know anyway, what? I know this podcast. Sense? Does yeah, that make no, sense? Like, sense. folks, like, it's, it's important. So, you know, there's actually like a, 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 I think it's a maxi pad or tampon commercial right now with like a, an overweight um, yoga instructor. And I kind of love that they do that commercial. It might be pandering a little bit, yeah. but I kind of love that. Like, yeah. I've seen this it, one. It, it's uh. I feel like it might have showed up when Kim has the housewives on okay. or, or maybe when I'm watching uh, Jersey Shore family. Reunion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You were going to say something. And I went off on my tangent. No, I think. Uh... Oh, no, I was just going to say that. I know this podcast is big on movie references, but uh, I'm not much of a movie guy. So that one went right over my head. It is a early 1990s Tom Cruise um, where he's a race car driver. Okay. It's, uh, I think Robert Duvall's the other guy who's his driver instructor teacher. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's, it's not a good movie, folks. Don't go back it up. Don't go back <laughs> it up. That's not a diss on Tom Cruise. I like the guy. Um, Scientology, to heck with it. But, like, <laughs> I like that guy. Um, so then you and Joe were working together at New York Sports Club, right? Yeah. Right. And so that you have Kathy in the mix. Now, when I met you too, it, and I busted Kathy's chops on this, she would like hint about that this company's forming without saying it, but she'd be like, yeah, we're going to be a catalyst or like we're a catalyst, but she wouldn't say like, we're opening a place named catalyst. Now I know some of that was legal reasons, but <laughs> how quickly from knowing meeting her and, 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 you know, the work on your, your squat to actually being like, Hey, maybe we should open up a place. Like, what was that process like? Like it was fast. Um, you know, it was, it was probably really just a couple months. It was like, we, you know, we spent time with Dooley and it was like, here's someone that like, just so closely matches our philosophy on, on, on fitness and on, you know, on the way that we want to serve people and, and kind of the worldview of, of what our role could be in, in, in helping people. And, you know, we started referring patients and clients back and forth. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of compliment between what she was doing and still is doing on the clinical side and, and what we were doing and, and still are doing on the fitness side. Um, you know, that these approaches really fit together well, that she was, you know, 
encouraging her patients to get strong because she was realizing that, you know, strength is, is in a lot of cases, what keeps people from, from getting re-injured. And we were encouraging our clients to, to, to move better. And, you know, when it came to, to injuries, um, you know, that, Hey, this is not just about the site of pain. This is about the way you move. This is about your alignment. This is about your posture. Uh, so we started sending people back and forth to each other and we're just seeing really amazing results. And, uh, at that point, Dr. Dooley, I think was, was renting space somewhere. And, and Joe and I were at New York sports clubs, which is, you know, it was awesome for what it was. I mean, like for me coming from, from outside the fitness industry, it was just really a great way to start at the bottom and, and, and learn the craft and learn the trade of fitness. Um, but at the same time, after a few years at, at a commercial gym like that, like it's just, you know, it, it gets frustrating in certain ways. So, um, you know, at some point, I can't remember if it was who sent that original email, but it was like, oh, like here, we're doing this thing. Um, like we've already got a bunch of equipment, like of just our own personal kettlebells and stuff. Like let's, let's just rent a place and open something up. And, um, you know, we still laugh about that email of like, oh, like, yeah, we just, we have some kettlebells and a cook dance. We've got almost all we need to open a business. Uh, it, it turned out there was a little bit more involved with it, but, um, you know, it happened quickly. Um, you know, I think by April, by May or June of that year, I, I think we had an LLC formed and we were like, you know, out looking for space. It, it was not easy finding space, um, you know, somewhere where you can have showers and have a fitness floor and, and, and be able to deadlift and, and not have to worry about damaging the space or who's below you for, for noise and whatnot. Um, you know, we, we would go into spaces and we'd like, you know, be reaching up and thinking like, all right, well, could someone do a kettlebell snatch here? We have one client, he's actually still with us. He's like six, five. Um, it's like, Oh, is, is he going to be able to do snatches here? And like, you know, the agent would be taking us around and I'd be like jumping up and down on the floor, like stomping <laughs> on it to see how, how um, durable the floor was. Uh, but you know, eventually we found our space and, and, and kind of never looked back. Your space is excellent. So they're, 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 they're located near several, they're, they're in midtown Manhattan, literally two blocks from Times Square. So like tourist world, a little bit of hell for local New Yorkers because yeah. Times Square sort of sucks if you, you know, on that front, but it is like a, not a basement space, but it's a lower level space. Yeah. And there's, as of right now, is there even another company down there? Uh, well, the lobby construction just finished. We, I think Weight Watchers is moving com- back in next door. Back in. Yeah. Um, which is funny because you would think, wait, when you guys first got that, there's a, so there's literally, you go down these stairs, folks, and there's a, there's one door is Catalyst. The other door is Weight Watchers. And how much referral do you actually get from Weight Watchers? I think in four years, we've had, I mean, no referrals, but we've had two people from Weight Watchers who have walked by and kind of like said, Ooh, what's this? And walked in and, and joined as clients. Um, one of whom did like extraordinarily well in our program and one of whom like just kind of wasn't ready for it. I think, you know, Weight Watchers, they serve, I think, an important function for a lot of people. You know, I think if you look at it, if you look at it as nutrition advice, I think it's, it's kind of garbage of like, you know, bread and not counting macros and just no attention to food quality and stuff. But if you look at it for, I, I think what it probably more accurately is, which is, 
an intervention for people who have a pathological relationship with food. Yeah. I think that they serve a, a really important function in the world um, that there's a lot of people like everyone, you know, probably listening to this knows at least one person who was, you know, severely overweight and changed their life through Weight Watchers. Um, so I don't want to knock them, but it, I, and I didn't bring this up as a knock. What I, what I, what I find fascinating is how so many people don't view the whole picture. Yeah. Right. Like you can, just like I was saying, we're training. If you want to get more out of your training, eat better, sleep better. Yeah. If you want to lose weight, eat better, lift more. Yeah. Around more, whatever that's going to be. And I, that's the point I, you know, for me, from what I've seen of Weight Watchers is I've seen people have short-term success because I think it, it offers some control strategies. Yeah. The rails a bit. Right. Or if you just don't have, um, the common knowledge of like, this is a quality food or not a quality yeah. food. This is portions. The problem is I don't know if it necessarily creates habits once you go off of the counting system. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's like, I think it's a good intervention for people that just like to just to break what they're doing. They, they have like a nice support system. I know a lot of people who, have, who are familiar with both have, have kind of compared Weight Watchers to AA. Um, you know, they have their meetings and they talk about their challenges, but like, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, to kind of go back on like referrals and overlap with catalysts, like it just, it just seems to be a very different population. And it doesn't seem like a lot of those people are ready for kind of working hard in the gym, to be honest. I think a lot of them come in and, you know, have see what we do and they're just, they're just not ready for it. Yeah, um, it's, so it's, it's kind of a shame, you know, I wish there was a way Maybe, and, and this isn't like Weight Watchers, I'm not dissing yeah. you or putting this on you, but maybe in, in the practice of setting people up, setting up not just counting food, but also some sort of baseline comfort with the concept of fitness. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I think it's just easier. It's easier to eat better when you're starting to feel physically stronger. Yeah. You know, like whenever you've like fallen off. So I'll say for myself, like, you know, uh, and we've had these talks in the past, like I've struggled with my training over the last three years between just overworking myself, stressing out, trying to make money, traveling, um, traveling for work, um, where I've been very inconsistent and I'm finally a few months in where I'm like, you know, four to five days a week. And, and, and I feel the difference. Like I, I can see the difference. I just feel it when I'm walking around, I'm just like taller again. Yeah. And you know, I know what I'm going to celebrate and I know what I'm going to eat like shit. And it helps me with my stress eating. Cause that's my, one of my, one of my bad things is it's like I'll stress eat and it helps me realize cause I'm feeling physically like I don't want to damage this part of it. Yeah. I just think like if you're creating new eating habits, if you can add that physical confidence on top of it, it like it stacks the deck in your favor yeah. as opposed to keeping it like one pillar um, or the other. Because I think a lot of people think they're just going to be able to lift weights like once or twice a week and they're going to lose a shit ton of weight. And that's just like, not folks, here's the secret. Not going to happen. Yeah. You can get stronger on a slower curve. Um, that I see. And I'm actually, it's, I'm, I'm somewhat shocked sometimes at how much stronger someone can get. Right. Once or twice <laughs> a week. Um, but like in terms of the weight loss thing, it, it, that is going to come down to what you're putting in your mouth. But anyway, I think it's really good to think of them together. Like I yeah. do want to start becoming like, meal prep guy half the time yeah fucking hate cooking that's yeah. a horrible thing for a coach to say i just hate cooking yeah i mean i did meal prep for you know a long time carrying tupperwares around and like i just can't do it lately like you know and and for me like my diet is like you know kind of 80 20 rule of um 
I'm good enough that I'm able to achieve my goal. I mean, I spend a lot of time active, you know, between Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and lifting weights that like, I can get away with eating some stuff that, you know, maybe isn't the healthiest or best, but like, I just burn so many calories that it's, it's not really a problem for me. Um, you know, and I, I've always said with diet that it's like the difference between, you know, a 60% diet and a 70% diet is, is significant. The difference between, you know, being at 70% and 80% is big. Yeah. By the time you get to the difference between like 80 and 90, it's like, yeah, on the margin. And like the difference between 90% perfect and 100% perfect, I think is, is negligible. Um, so like, you know, I, I get my calorie content right, you know, my macros are good you know i get a lot of protein which i think is is the macro that people have the most trouble with um my nutrient timing is 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 really good i mean i'm a you know huge proponent of of intermittent fasting especially for myself and then you know the food quality would be kind of be the last component and like you know i'm good i mean i cook dinner uh, a lot but like carrying tupperware around and meal prepping like it's just not something i'm doing right now and um you know, you just kind of have to decide if like, Hey, what's, what's the amount of investment that I want to put in versus how much I want to get out. And, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, it's individual to each person. Which what, what, with your intermittent fasting, what, what, um, fasting versus what, what's your window? Yeah, I do like kind of a, a, a 16, eight, um, kind of from like one to 9 PM is, is pretty typical for me. Um, you know, uh, I'll typically have like before jujitsu around like, you know, noon or so I'll have some almond milk and protein powder. So no carbs, but, um, or de minimis carbs. Um, and then probably not have a solid food meal until after jujitsu, you know, around like three o'clock or four o'clock and then stop eating around eight or nine. Um, so like, I mean, there's days where I might not have any, you know, any food, any calories until two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you know, there's days where like, maybe if I'm going to do a lot of jujitsu and working out that day where maybe I will, you know, break my fast at 11am. But um, you know, I've been doing intermittent fasting now for maybe six and a half years. Wow. Um, like, you know, and people are like, Oh, do you do it every day? And it's like, yeah, because I wake up and I'm, I'm not really hungry. Um, I'm just used to waking up and maybe in the first hour, I'm a little hungry sometimes, but it, by the time I've kind of brushed my teeth, had some coffee and, and gotten on with my day, like I'm not even really thinking about food. Yeah. It's, um, it's just part of your, 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 your hardwired for it. I know for me, like I, you know, I got to give it a shot. I keep falling off the, the track with it. For me, it's like, you know, the first two weeks is when the cravings are in, yeah. when like your body's just used to yeah. start sending those hunger signals, which like, you know, they're like, you know, you're not going to starve. <laughs> and it's like being able to say no to them. Um, so it, let's talk about the jujitsu for a moment. So yeah. does Catalyst like get like, <laughs> like a group discount? Cause all of you, I think at this point, maybe except for Kathy or at, or at Henzo's now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us are now we're not getting any, uh, <laughs> any group discount. It's just, um, <laughs> man, jujitsu, jujitsu's got a way of like just really seducing. Um, you, you're either into it or you're not, you know, like we were, um, we were in a restaurant a couple months ago and uh, my wife noticed a guy who had a, a tattoo on his forearm that, that said jujitsu. Um, and she says to me like, boy, like people are really like, they're into it. Like I wouldn't, she says, I would never get a tattoo that says soccer on it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, um, and, and yeah, there's just something about jujitsu that like, once you start doing it, it's, it, it, 
it's just so much fun. And uh, yeah, so Joe, um, you know, Joe's training at Henzo's. Joe is obviously doing Muay Thai and kickboxing there for a really long time before he, um, you know, got back into jujitsu. And then, you know, Fabian's been doing it. And, and uh, Lee Scantalides is at Henzo's now too. And uh, I think it's, in some ways, it's just so consistent with our fitness philosophy too. Because yeah. there's like a movement quality component and there's a conditioning component and there's, there definitely is a strength component to it too. And the psychological component like that. that I think that's an important aspect of it. Yeah. I haven't fucked around with it. I'm, I'm really interested. I'm becoming friends with the, uh, John Finn, AKA Birdman from Birdman BJJ out here. Okay. He, he moved into a newer facility about a year ago, actually less than a year ago, maybe five months ago. And it's a great spot and it's literally five blocks and John's a super guy. It turns out he's like an old training partner, a uh, friend of Ron Farrington. Oh, okay. Sure. Team leader. Um, and we're talking about trying to do some stuff together. Super good guy. And it's like something I want to do, but admittedly right now, I'm like, man, like finances, that shit ain't cheap. <laughs> it's not just him. Like he's worth every penny, but uh, it's something that I'm, I'm definitely interested. In. I know when I, when I decided to go to five points for Muay Thai coming off of two joint surgeries, Jiu-jitsu interests me, but the idea of like I'd rather get kicked than my joints worked on. Yeah, and that was really the the, the outlet, the, the decider for me on that. But I've realized now, it's like I haven't really, I've maybe like hit pads five times in the last three years. Yeah, so I can't even really even claim any sort of martial arts status. Not that I was like a high player in any way um, anymore, but I missed that outlet. But it's yeah. also Sometimes my interests are a little too all over the place. So it's like, you know, there's the kids, there's Kim, there's, um, you know, movies and stuff. And then now I'm like back at the skate park on both my skateboard. That's and now sweet. Literally, as we speak, my new BMX bike came in. So I'm on a 20 inch kid's bike um, getting ready to go to the skate park. So I'm like, cool. I need another fucking thing right now. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu is hard to do halfway too. And I think, you know, my journey was like, I, I was first started uh, in 2006 with jujitsu and, you know, back in college, um, 2006, 2007, and like just fell in love with it training, you know, multiple times a day, most days. And, um, you know, then I uh, came to the city, was working in investment banking. And like, I think it's just a really hard thing to do even once a week, you know, like it's one of these things where like, like now, for example, if I'm training five days a week, six days a week, like, you know, knock on wood, I'm not so worried about injury. What I'm most concerned is like, oh, if I'm, if I'm gone for a week and then I come back and I think that same phenomena is there for, you know, people that are training once a week or that are inconsistent with their training is that like, you're sore every time you're not adapting. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think it's a really hard sport to be halfway. in. I think it's like, you're either all in or, or you're not in at all. Um, and there's definitely an element where people really, um, it seems to fill both a physical and an emotional yeah, and a community hole that some, some people might have, like, you know, um, yeah. you know, uh, from, from you guys with Henzo's, I know, um, Wes Showalter, yeah. who was on the podcast a couple episodes ago, going out to balance in Philly, like he's doing it five days a week now. Yeah. Raj Law's big into it now from MFF. Okay. Like it's just like it's it's a thing. Um, I want to give that a shot, but it's like also like I'm just, I think I'm just gonna go to the skate park. You know, it's um, physical. I think there is like there's a huge community thing to it where like you know like uh, yeah, I love like my my family at Enzo's, my friends there, everyone there. Um, 
I think there's an intellectual component to it too, of like what's um, Joe Rogan calls it uh, high level problem solving with dire physical consequences yeah. is, is, but it is like, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you know, like one of my other hobbies is, is chess. Um, the, the I did not game. know that. Yeah. I love playing chess. Um, and I think chess and jujitsu are like, they're just so similar that there's, you know, there's attacking, but there's also defending and, you know, attacking on, you know, one area might leave you vulnerable on another area. And like, just kind of the, the problem solving and the way things fit together. Um, I think there's a lot of overlap between, between chess and jujitsu and like the way they, you know, work the brain and the way that you problem solve through both of them. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so like there's that component of jujitsu. I think there's also something to be said for like just the physical contact of like just being in contact with other people and you know what that means to just a human, to a human. Um, I think that's an interesting thing. That's too, that's like, it's a double-sided win. It's like, there's the literally just, I don't want to sound creepy, but like literally human contact is yeah. like important. And a lot yeah. of us don't, don't get that. So just that. But I also think there's, there's something to be gained about being in a situation oh. where you're threatened. Yeah. You're like, you know, even though you know you're in a relatively safe environment, some level you're like, I'm trying to beat this person or this person's trying to beat me. Right. Um, and being okay with that, you know, yeah. like, you know, in Muay Thai, it, you know, yeah, you are going to get hit. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And, and being okay with that to a degree. Now, does that mean like you're going to be like renegade street fighter, like outside? No, but it, it does a lot prepare your brain to be less scared. You know, I'll say this yeah. from like, you know, we talked about how sometimes kettlebells are imposing. So, you know, when I started, I used to skateboard and BMX a lot. And, you know, I would do a lot of pool skating, not so much on my bike, but a lot of pool skating. And then last year when I started getting into it again, like suddenly I was afraid to drop in because I was afraid of the fall. Yeah. Just like anything, you start small, you get better and better and better. And suddenly like the things just literally your brain processes them different where they don't look as big. Yeah. And I think like any sort of martial arts really helps you with that. I also think strength training helps you with that and yeah. provides that benefit where suddenly like a work problem or a life problem doesn't seem quite as severe. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day, he put his, his daughter into jujitsu and she's probably like, I don't know, I want to say like eight or nine years old or something. And, you know, she's doing kids jujitsu and like, you know, obviously there's, there is a self-defense and martial arts perspective to it too, but he was like, Hey, listen, you know, after getting, potentially choked or you know thrown around by the boys like having some asshole boss you know yelling at her is just going to make it's just going to seem like nothing and it just makes her that much more confident of an individual and you know especially for for a female in this case uh, so i thought that was cool it's super cool i literally just taught sadie so sadie's going to be starting middle school this year okay and, and the kids have both shown interest at, like randomly about working out and i put together like a routine but admittedly like you know, Ben's at the age where, uh, you know, people like to talk about training kids. It's really hard because like you really hard. You talk about like a neutral spine. And you can try to get the focus and, you can, and they just don't have that connection. Or at least many of them don't. The ones yeah. that I've dealt even into, in, into their younger teens were kind of like rubber band control. You know, yeah. like you had to really try to focus something in. But Sadie literally were like, hey, Sadie, she started like every now and then she'd like to show people that she could press or deadlift and it got better <laughs> and better. So I'm like, Sadie, you want to learn to swing? So within 15 minutes, Sadie had like probably just as good a swing as like any adult you'd spend an hour with. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, this is massive because if Sadie just decides just like, if I can get her to do a get up in a little while, right? If she just swings a kettlebell five days a week 
and gets progressively good at that and does push-ups. Like what kind of physical advantage is that going to have now at her age, just in terms of like a, you know, even just from a stress level of dealing with kid yeah. hormones that are, you know, coming up um, and, you know, her appearance, not that that's the main thing folks, but like, you know, yeah, it matters. It, it's, but just having the confidence is the main one. Yeah. Like, she can have some dudes that might be like, or, or girls that are busting her chops about something. And, you know, by the age of 12, she could have like a 16K swing. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, that was, you know, like weightlifting was more like the first times where it was like, oh, like here's something where like I put work in and I get a result out. And like my, my effort and my outcomes are, are so closely tied. Um, and like, yeah, that was a huge confidence booster for me at that, you know, at that age of, you know, 14, 15, whenever I started lifting weights of like, Hey, you know, I can do this and I can get good at this and, you know, getting stronger, like huge confidence boost. It's interesting. Cause I ended up going the other way, at least through high school where I got into skateboarding. Cause I, I think probably on some level, I, I just, I didn't think I could connect with anybody on, on the strength training, more traditional side of it. I was just like, I, I just don't fucking fit in. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get good at this shit that I love doing. Right because fuck you every everybody can do this thing I, you can't do this thing right um and it's just weird now looking back on it like it, it, it's it's really weird to reflect on like those points of like big personality shifts right? yeah like, where, like you have that aha moment where you're like this is the thing that i am this is how i'm going to define myself at least for now and uh interesting the anger of like my youth <laughs> it's like i look back and i'm like i get it like i can kind of get it but i can also be like some of the things that like fucking were like crazy depressing for me or infuriating for me no pun intended with my nickname <laughs> they don't seem so big now like you know like uh, yeah. you know i had like horrible acne for a few years for several years and i'm like you know like i remember like being really self-conscious about yeah being like a pizza face but now in hindsight like i don't think of myself as like a high school pizza face like right. i don't I'm not stuck in that mode. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, we're perpetually stuck in that mode. And that's like, you know, where I think like any sort of fitness or physical outlet lets you get away from that. Easiest way to change your psychology, change your physiology. So true. You know? So true. Uh, and in a positive way, because I'll say the yeah. one thing that I also like about strength training was I definitely viewed skateboarding and my years where I was more into BMX as like a little bit like creative self-destruction, you know, like fuck it. Like I'm going to make this thing happen and I don't care how many times I fall. Yeah. And strength training was the opposite of that. Right. And, and strength training is like very like, I'm going to like bulletproof myself. So yeah. that like, even if I have to fall, maybe I won't fall, but even if I have to fall, it's going to be easier to get back up and less likely to get hurt. And that's one of those confidence builders now that like, yeah, I might still get hurt in the park. I'm a, I'm not trying the same type of stuff I used to do, <laughs> but I don't have that same level of fear. And I think that's like something as a coach that I, I, I think if we could share that with people to be like that thing you gave up because you thought you were too old, maybe you have to modify it, but you don't have to give up. Like people yeah. do Brazilian jiu-jitsu in their 60s and 70s yeah. and, and beyond where it's like, why not? Why can't you ride a bike in a pool? Yeah. <laughs> Just maybe don't do like the big tricks. Why can't you carve around? And if you're fit and mobile, so you'll fall. Right. Guess what? Your bones aren't going to be as brittle as somebody who hasn't been moving around and lifting weights. Yeah. That's kind of the secret, I think. Not the Oprah secret. That's the secret <laughs> secret. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, how has your training changed since you got like deeper into 
the jujitsu? Because I know, like, when Cattles first opened, you were, I think we we're still doing some competitions uh, on the powerlifting floor. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I've definitely – we're not around at the gym the same time. I tend to be yeah. done before you're getting in. I see Joe in the morning and Fabian. And uh, – but, like, how is you, have you, have, has your chain training modified yeah, to support sure. the sport? Yeah, absolutely, in a big way. Um, actually, I wrote a blog about this a month or two ago, and I think, like, you know, in powerlifting, it's all about, like, you know, of course, lifting the most weight possible. That's the sport – uh, I think one of the things that's become just more and more important to me uh, and something that I've kind of always tried to put in front of clients is like the idea of the minimum effective dose is like, I want to be able to get back on the mat again tomorrow. I want to be able to, you know, do jujitsu because that's how I get better at jujitsu. Uh, so like, hey, what, what's the minimum amount of training I can do um, that, that's still going to be effective for me? Um, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm not doing, I actually don't think I'm really doing any barbell work on, on the program I'm on currently, um, probably been a couple months in now. Um, I, you know, I do a lot of get-ups. Um, I really want to focus my training on, you know, not living in my sport posture a little bit. Like jujitsu involves a lot of, you know, keeping your arms close to your sides and being a little hunched over, you know, maybe the head's kind of down protecting the neck sometimes. Um, so, you know, restoring alignment's really important. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the get-up's been important for that. The swing's really important for that. Um, you know, overhead work, I think, is, is touch and go a little bit. It's like, if I can do it, I think it's great because it keeps my shoulders open. But at the same time, it, it is more demanding. So, like, if I've trained hard and, you know, I feel like my, my T-spine mobility is not great that week, then, like, you know, no, no shame in, in – doing a floor press instead of a, an overhead press that week. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things I've been real focused on um, is, is just maximum power production. Um, you know, I was using power cleans with a barbell for a while. Lately, I've been using double kettlebell cleans and just doing like, you know, triples on the minute for 10 to 15 minutes and just the intent to be, as aggressive and violent as possible with every clean. Uh, you know, we always say in kettlebell world that the, the clean's the most underrated exercise. Dude, I'm so with you right now. I'm going right? through like in the last two months of programming, three months of programming for people. I'm using the double clean more and more. It really doesn't get the love it deserves. I don't think, I think so. it's a lot of, because it is a higher level skill yeah. as, a, as a sort of a kettlebell basic. I think, you know, uh, Cleans are probably technically the hardest to dial in. People struggle with snatches a little bit, but cleans 100%. are like to actually get a smooth, not shrug, not bicep driven, not hitting the arm clean is a hard one. And, but man, when you start doing like, it's funny you said it, like I have somebody doing, uh, I think it's three cleans, three squats on the minute. For like yeah. Eight. You know, that, that's like their main, main strength section. And it's just enough because yeah. more and more with my training now, some days are longer just based on I'm pushing myself in a different way. So I only do maybe a total of 10 things a week total, like not counting my warm up. Yeah. It's probably even less than that. Um, skills that I know that I suck at right now, you know, things that I'm trying to recover or reclaim from, you know, the tremor and the loss of strength that I had with that. And I'm working on volume. So like, you yeah. know, my presses used to be more in like the three range. Now I'm working more in like, the seven to eight range where you know uh, maybe maybe five to seven range um 
but like my carries now, like I talked about it on this podcast and it's cool. This guy, cat George, who follows the show, George, thank you for trying it. I do this thing where like I walk around outside with a kettlebell for 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. So it's a 30 minute workout if I haven't done anything else. And I usually do something. So that day's long, but like if I go out juggling and do the, uh, and bring my mace out now, that's like a 25 minute, 30 minute thing. If yeah. I'm having extra fun juggling or like get super focused on trying to land something, like I'll be out there for 45 minutes, but I'm not thinking of it as a workout time. That's just me trying to do something time. Um, cause you know, more and more you're like these hours, the, the idea of an hour session is based on a billable schedule. Of time. <laughs> it's built on a clock and scheduling as opposed to like an actual physical need. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. What, what, what would you say if someone were to train five days a week at like, say like a 70% intensity? Yeah. What do you think the minimum dose is in terms of a, a period of time? Like, I know we can't, there's so many, it depends answers. Yeah. Like they're doing like, you know, uh, some sort of the big six. Of, of five five days a week five days a week 20 30 minutes that's what i think yeah you know and that can be with the warm-up but like definitely without the warm-up yeah. like, uh, this idea is and it, it's i struggle sometimes with the online program because you know when i started i would write like four to five individual training days yeah and then i started realizing like people are struggling to pick up these skills and maybe i'm focused too much on the variety aspect of like each day like they served a purpose yeah i can be more minimal and then i started doing more like two or three days and then just keep cycling through and you know now some people are asking more for that fourth day and i'm like i, I don't know if that benefits not that it's a horrible thing per se because it is this minimal dose. Like if you want to get good at pressing, you got to press. Sure. If you want to get good at swings, you got to swing, but you also don't want to grind yourself out. I think kettlebell people are really easy to grind themselves out yeah. um, with high volume or, you know, hitting that 80, 90% max effort range. Yeah. You know, I think like when I was doing powerlifting, like, you know, work out 90 minutes, two hours, probably about five days a week, you know, and like, but that was like, that was all I would do, you know, it was kind of like, no, no other activity. And, you know, I would eat a ton. I mean, you, you knew me in that period. I put on a lot of weight in that period. Um, you know, a lot of that good weight, some of it, not so good weight. Um, and that's a lot to recover from, but like, and like if your goal is to build muscle, if your goal is to, you know, have a 500 pound deadlift, whatever, like, yeah, you, you, you know, you need to do that. And I think there's still something really great about like just freaking lifting weights, you know, of like, getting really strong and, and, you know, yeah, having a, a 500 pound deadlift, whatever it is, 400 pound deadlift. Um, I think it's a really cool journey for a lot of people, but like, you know, I don't think it's a necessary journey that everyone needs to get fit. And like, you know, to your point, um, I think sometimes as programmers, um, and the hardest thing is not what to add, but what not to add it's so easy for us. And, you know, I think the library of exercises is just, is only growing as people get more creative and, uh, but to sit down and have a program, I do this all the time where I'll write programs and it's like, okay, what can I take out? This is yeah. what's actually important for this person. Um, and we also, I think sometimes as trainers, it's like, we we want to show them all this cool stuff but like the basics are just so important and i think it's it's easy to lose sight of that when there's so much shiny stuff around but um being committed to the basics and and, and being able to write a good program that doesn't overwhelm someone i think is the hardest part of growing from you know a newer trainer into a, a really experienced good programmer and i would say as a as a good owner of a facility one of the things that is always impressed 
me about Catalyst and, you know, like Wheels and Steph Wilverding, people that I've, you know, kind of introduced you to that, that trained out of there. Will, Wheels, I think, still does sometimes, yeah? I haven't I'm seen sure. Wheels in a while, Steph's but LA now. I might just the schedules might just not be matching. Like you but, and I, I don't know when the last time we ran into each other at Catalyst is. Probably when I had one of my desperation business lunches with you. So Jason's also <laughs> one of the cats when I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Is this crazy? How do I make this happen? Jason's one of the cats I talk with because he's a smart, smart businessman. I think Catalyst, what I was basically going to say is one of the things that I love about Catalyst is an independent trainer. You can show up at some jams and you're going to see a wide gamut of great to shit. Like just yeah. trainers that just are not good. And unfortunately, it's not always even just a learning curve thing. It's just, they're not interested in being good. Exactly. They have they the sales have pitch and they're making money and they don't have to be. And the thing that I loved about Catalyst is it puts you in the position, at least for what the type of training that I do, that I come in with my own people and when they're warming up or they're working out, guess what? It looks like they could have been programmed by Jason or vice versa. Like there'll be moments where everybody, <laughs> Like there'll be four people doing dead bugs at the same time with their yeah. program just by chance. Yeah. You know, or, um, you know, kettlebell swings or half kneeling presses, uh, bird dogs, whatever. Like there's just such a, a commonality because of that. You don't need to get fancy. Now, the other thing I'm going to say this is uh, there's been some stuff that I've seen that I haven't seen before at your place that have impressed the hell out of me that are just simple additions. Fabian was like the, the coaching him up, but I, I don't know if he wrote the program or not, but you had somebody doing uh, a one kettlebell press with the opposite foot. I think it was the opposite foot yeah. on a box. The split stand, the high split stance. My gosh, I love that thing. It's such a good progression from half kneeling. Yeah, I, I loved it. And it was just so simple. Haven't seen it done. And I was like, holy shit. And then he had one of his, uh, one, of, one of your members doing uh, a row with a bird dog. So oh, the bird dog row, yeah. A three-point supported row, right? So if and then adding in the bird dog. And I, I thought, wow, that's like so simple and makes so much sense. That yeah, that bird dog row. I actually was I first saw it from uh, you know Chris Duffin from Kabuki Strength. I know of him. I haven't yeah. met him yet. I mean, he's for, he's awesome. I mean, he's a nine hundred something pound deadlifter. I mean, he's you know, some kind of savant. Like I think his social skills aren't all there from what i've heard <laughs> um i get their newsletters but like i haven't uh he's, i mean he's like a mad scientist i think he refers to himself as mad scientist stuff and on I, I, yeah i feel like that's what the emails come like the blog yeah. uh i'm on their mailing list i think some of the blogs come through is that and he so i saw him doing it on uh you know instagram or youtube or whatever with like you know 100 something pound dumbbell and i'm like oh man that's awesome you know, and, and Fabian writes a lot of the programs. He's Fabian's our program manager. I was like, oh man, I got to tell Fabian about this. And um, like literally the next day I come into Catalyst and like, I see someone doing it. Like Fabian was already on it before I was. Um, and that's a cool one. I, I mean, it just, it just makes so much sense that bird dog row. So, um, but to go back to what you're saying about like, you know, simplifying and having the right exercises, semi-privates really forced us to do that. You know, when you're working one-on-one -on -one with someone like you can, you know, maybe teach them stuff sooner and, and maybe that's appropriate. Maybe it's not, but, um, and semi-private just by design of, of the way the program works is there's three people with one coach. So like it's on the client to be that much more, you know, a master of the basics and a master of the movement patterns, um, you know, before we get to exercises 
And, you know, something that we hear a lot in, in, in the RPC and the SFG is, is how important that kettlebell deadlift is before the kettlebell swing, for example. And I look back to my personal training, you know, one-on-one and it's like, you know what, like I was probably teaching people swings earlier than I could have, you know, there's definitely, so I definitely did that squeezed out of the lemon of, um, of the kettlebell deadlift. And I think, you know, as a trainer, there's kind of like two ways to approach it. And, you know, uh, uh, as far as programming and exercise selection goes, and I see a lot of trainers that are just, they're trying to wow their clients. They have all these new exercises. It's something different every week. And I mean, I, I just can't keep up with that. Um, There's no room to apply to actually see if it works. I'm just not going to win that game. But what I think is more powerful and more effective and more safe and more sustainable is can you have someone do the absolute basic and instead of saying to themselves, oh, he showed me all these awesome exercises and it blew my mind, have them say to themselves, wow, he showed me this really basic thing, but I realized that I had X, Y, and Z bad habit or movement restriction or whatever it might be that it's like he had me doing it just a basic kettlebell deadlift. And I couldn't even do it right because I didn't realize what a neutral spine is. So, so now we're working on a neutral spine. That's powerful. And if you can be that coach, I, I think that's, that's the right way to do it. I think it's more sustainable. I think it's better for the client. And, and like I said, I just can't keep up with all the new exercises that come out every week. Well, I'll also say I've had people that have come in there for, so some of the, some of the people that are bringing to Catalyst will be people that will generally train with me online. And then we do like a once a month, yeah. uh, twice a month, like check-in, right. To go over stuff and they'll see your members, not the staff guys, but your members doing like 28 K 32 K getups yeah. and, you know, just owning those basics. And, but it's not in a way of like pushing PRs. Like that's the thing that I yeah. sometimes I, I think, you know, when we talk about hauling weight for the sake of hauling weight, I think yeah. sometimes, you know, it's so easy to celebrate a PR, but, you know, it's one thing to sort of create a baseline where somebody realizes like what a true eight out of 10 is, Yeah. Um, you know, to show their potential a little bit. And then I think there's that other end where we're pushing for that, like go heavier. Yeah. And, you know, we used to have a lot of conversations at MFF about like getting the ninjas to go heavier. And I think sometimes too often we were putting the focus too much on going heavier with certain individuals when like, I don't know if the coaches were necessarily myself, including going like appropriate level heavy you know, I, I, yeah. when you start from a coach brain, when you're starting to like dissect a move, you know, especially when like, uh, this isn't a, a, a diss on PRI, PRI is rad. But yeah. Like, when all of a sudden there was like, everyone was getting into this new realm of like rib positionings and right. stuff. You're, like everyone went like lighter and, and, and slower. Right. A lot of stuff to just focus that in. And yet we set this expectation sometimes with the people we're training to go like, you know, go heavier, go heavier. Yeah. Yay, you went heavier. Um, as well, a, maybe you just made it easier. I don't know. I, I think it depends on the person a lot too. And I always like to divide my clients into push people and pull people. And what I mean by that, some people need to be pushed. Some people it's like, you know, look at their program sheet and it's like, all right, well, you've been using a, a 16 kilo kettlebell for deadlifts for, you know, two weeks now you've been here. It's like 16 kilo was good on day one. Cause we needed to teach you the exercise, but now we want you to get stronger. And those are yeah. people that need to be pushed and need to be given permission that like, it, it's okay to go heavier. You need to get stronger. Like the, the worst thing in the world would be for someone to take what we do and take this emphasis on form 
and take this emphasis on alignment and posture technique and then use that to be like, well, yeah, that's why I can never go heavier because my form's never perfect. And, and I think that's a really kind of pernicious trap. And like, you know, <laughs> again, not to knock PRI because we love PRI. We use PRI every single day. Um, but I think, yeah, sometimes people get that and it's like they just stop lifting weights and all they do is blow up balloons. And it's like, well, maybe your, you know, rib cage is more neutral, but like you've lost all the benefits of strength and conditioning and fitness. Um, that was one of the reasons why, like in both Strong First and, and the RKC, uh, when training the get up, we used to do the high bridge version. Right. And we went to the low sweep because it became this like lightweight for some. I, it, yeah. For me, it never stuck. And, and the high bridge is a legit version. I still did it with the same weights that I would do a low yeah. sweep. Yeah. But a lot of people just turned it into like an FMS, like a corrective right. lightweight thing versus like a hall weight thing. And just re- remembering what serves a purpose. But yeah, like while breathing will help it, people really across the board you have to remember that like your focus you might love breathing but if you're doing like 20 minutes of breathing drills like people are training you to get stronger like you're not you're not a physical therapist you know you might be folks physical (laughs) therapist like do what you need that's separate you're a physical therapist you know that you are a physical therapist yeah we're talking from the strength trainer perspective (laughs) on that like they they're going to want to move and lift something you know even if it's not lift they're going to want to move something right yeah whether it's himself or others. Um, let's switch gears a little bit as we yeah. start to wind this down. Yeah. Uh, my, my, the kids are going to get dropped off shortly. Okay. Uh, one of the things that's really, well, we actually almost sort of touched upon this just then. It, it's one of the things I've always appreciated from you, you and Joe in particular is your ability to like go to a course and not get caught up in the hype value of a course. Yeah. I, I know that like, you know, so Kathy teaches more than like, I feel like Kathy and, and, and Hankin and, and Kauri from, you know, and Travis from Japan yeah. um, teach more than anybody I know. Yeah. Like, I don't know anybody that has a level of travel schedules that are doing workshops as, as much as, as those folks. And, you know, I, I do a, a good amount, but I've tried to like narrow it down to about once a month. And, but, you know, like when something new is coming through or something that you and I have gone back to, have gone together through or whatever, you have a really good criteria in terms of when things are getting trendy, when things are more like brand oriented. What do you use like when you go to a course and you come home with a takeaway? What is like your checklist to see if that was like a, 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 a worthy financial investment, a worthy time investment, and something to apply in your training methodology programming at Catalyst? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we always want to compare it against kind of what we're already doing, and I think sometimes people go to a course and because of the way the fitness industry is a lot of times you'll go to a course and whoever's teaching the course is going to spend a lot of time talking shit about other courses about why their methods the best and so i think we've always you know kind of as a group had a little bit of skepticism towards that of like hey like yeah this guy thinks you know his system is the best system in the world but like you know he's also making his living on that and he's making money off that so it's like we want to kind of like always have like a little bit of that skeptical eye while still being open-minded um and, and you know i think that can be a, a balance to strike in and of itself um a lot of times when we take courses it's not just one person it's multiple people so we're comparing ideas like i remember coming back um from frc it was me paul jackie and kento in the car was there oh and lee scantilides as well and like we were just talking the whole way up from south jersey of like oh like how's this compared to this how's this compared to that and i think you know 
to, to kind of answer the question of like, how do we evaluate this criteria is like, well, let's compare it to what we're already doing. And I think that in the fitness industry, there's this tendency to, to get kind of blinders and think that there's a certain best way to do things and to forget that there's so many approaches that are, are viable, that there's, you know, there's this thing and it's going to work and there's this thing and it's going to work and there's that thing and it's going to work. And maybe some of them will work better than others and be more effective and more efficient. But there's a lot of things that people are going to have success with, um, you know, whether it's bodybuilding or anything else. So we look at it and we're like, all right, well, is this a better way to accomplish the goals that we're trying to accomplish for our clients? Um, you know, I think there's an experimental component to it too of like, hey, let, let's try it. Let's put this into some people's programs. Let's try it with our own bodies. And does this do the job better than what we're already doing? Because we have a system that's awesome. And then it's just kind of that like, you know, that, that Kaizen, that 1% small improvement approach of like, well, what can we take from this course and not throw our system out the window? What can we take from this course and just make it a little bit better? And I think by looking at each course in the context of the grander system of looking at it as a way to improve our program rather than replace our program it puts some good context around it. Cause like, you know, like you're saying, like some coaches will go to a course and then it's like, Oh yeah, everything I knew last week was garbage. You know, everything I know this week is, is the gospel. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And and that's until the new gospel gets written, right. Right? like the new Testament comes out two years later uh, or something, you know, for me, it, it's, it's when I go to something and admittedly, like I get so excited when I get to go to something, yeah. don't get too often anymore. Like my teaching schedule keeps me away from the family enough that like right. for me to take, you know, another weekend away, it's hard. So like, I'm, I'm, you know, I got into mace training thanks to Ben Marvin and you know, it, it gels well with my Indian club stuff that I've already right. been doing for many years. Um, and I'm interested in diving. So I'm going to get to, I got a, uh, I'm going to get to go to a workshop at uh, Kelly Manzone's place in Connecticut in a few weeks. And I'm like super stoked. Like I'm so excited to go and, and learn something new and be just the yeah. curious dude there. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, I'm going to bring Gus Peterson and I are talking about having him come back out in fall. It might be the first thing that I officially host here. Um, oh, cool. A juggling workshop because nice. I just think it's fun. Yeah. And you know, the dogma of all the hard style stuff. And I'm yeah. sure the other groups have their dogma too. It's just like, you know what? It's fun to throw a kettlebell around safely in an educated systematic yeah. way. Um, and then, you know, uh, getting to go to see the resilient guys, um, mm -hmm. you know, Doug Kachigian and those cats. I love seeing him speak, um, but I don't get to do enough. But what I can't do is, is like go to a bunch of stuff and then try to rewrite what I do. Right Now I'm in a weird spot where, you know, yes, I'm a paid employee by several of the groups that I happen to teach for and also use as the majority of my stuff. But folks, the only reason why I'm able to teach for them is because I got good at them because I actually fucking believed in what they are. Yeah. Like, you know, like OS, if I wasn't an instructor, would be a third, you know, a through line of what I do. DVRT, I would not be at, here as a coach with that if I hadn't taken Josh's program, if I hadn't had Josh as a mentor. Because it literally, like, as a second career guy, open my eyes up to movement in a very different way. And, you know, admittedly, I loved my first RKC. It taught me how to teach those moves, but it really wasn't like the course that taught me how to coach people mm. 
in a programming and beyond way. It's only how to do kettlebell moves. Right. Um, I try to change that. You've been a part of these where yeah. I, you know, I really try to change that. So that yeah, I think you really have people can view it as a system, but, you know, early on, I had to help that with, with, you know, Josh's course, which, which was lift at the time, which is actually getting a, a new lease on life. Like oh, which cool. I'm really excited about it. They're going to come back with a new program. Um, really opened my eyes, which is like when, you know, like when I'm trying to get people to come to one of my DVRT level ones or twos, yeah, it's, a, it's about the ultimate sandbag to a degree, but like we use everything. Right. You know, Josh was a former master RKC. We taught together. Of course, like Josh literally as trendy as mace training is right now has a video from like eight years ago of him using a mace. He stopped pursuing it because people are like, oh, it's just another rando. Right. Like he knows the benefits of it. And now Perform Better is really trying to push mace. Yeah. Um, as the lever bar. which is just such a weird name for me. Like, uh, you know, I know Mace people think like, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings, but I I just think like lever bar, it just feels like a a weird one. I get leverage is like important, but kettlebell is not a ballistic ball. (laughs) I digress. I'm glad that that stuff's coming, you know, into the light a little bit. Yeah. Um, But like, you know, for me, it's like when I go to something and I get to bring in, does it literally make sense? Like, does it change something? Like I'll say when I went to the Doug, hear Doug teach and speak on a floor press in terms of back position and arm position, it literally has changed the way I taught it because it makes sense to me. Um, And the way he explained it made total sense. Like that simple thing enough. I had many takeaways from it, but that simple thing enough, I think has helped me become better in how I train myself and train people worth it. Yeah. OS, you know, coming from a uh, primal move background and FMS background, um, OS simplified things in a way where I'm like, wait a minute, all of these correctives we've been like getting very specific on are kind of baked into all of these things. Sure. Like you said, you know, if you were a kid, if you crawled more like yeah. crawling is, it doesn't have to be fancy to be valuable. So that solved a lot of things for me, both in right. terms of space, in terms of ease, in terms of assessment. Um, OS made sense to me that way. And then the way that between them and DVRT and hard style, kettlebell training, the RKC, how they all connect really filled out my thing. Now, right. I still do other stuff, you know, like it's right. not, I'm not like a three trick pony, but that has provided me with a training philosophy. If I'm going on a barbell, if I'm going on a pull-up bar, if I'm going on a TRX, if I'm using Indian clubs, like what does it all make sense? Right. And you know how you guys have your philosophy. Ours gel, uh, you know, we've ended up taking a lot of the same courses, but ours just gel well, which is amazing to see how it is. The other thing that I can't remember, I was talking about this with Matt Wilson. After we've recorded like the, the, five, the road to 50, okay. I've been recording in the last two days because I'm going away and I want to make sure I don't fall behind. And here's the reality too, right? We can all get three twins, right? Triplets, duh, three twins, <laughs> triplets, right? Same genetic makeup. You get one, I get one, somebody else who does uh, something else completely random, orange theory or something, right? Sure. You know what, like, there's no way saying for absolute sure that one way is going to prevent them from injury or get them greater results in the short term. In the long term, yeah, like likelihoods increase. Sure. But like, that's the other thing that gets lost when people are pitching their tents, like, like flagpoles uh, about like this system. It's like, there might be some dude at your random shithole mom and pop gym and just be grateful that those places are still open because I think the world needs more of them right now. Um, that is just still using machines yeah. and their people look great and their people yeah. love what they're doing. 
And yet we can be the condescending assholes to that. Um, I try to remind myself that because it is easy for me um, to become a condescending asshole. And I try really hard against it. Yeah. Um, but I think that's like also like a nice reminder that like, yeah, like somebody might be losing more weight doing Zumba yeah. and they might be swinging a kettlebell. And that's just the reality because it, it's how it's impacting the rest of their life outside of that class. Yeah, I think we're like, there's like a, what's the right way to put it? That there's like a fallacy, a fallacy that we, we tend to fall into or a bias that we just try to, we tend to generalize our own experience for our clients. And it's like, hey, like, this method might have resonated with me. And who knows, maybe that's because of my athletic background. Maybe that's this system addresses a particular musculoskeletal issue that maybe I don't even know I have. Yeah. Um, but that I start doing this thing and this thing makes me feel amazing. And then I want to say, oh, this is the thing for everyone. And, um, you know, that that's the hard thing sometimes. Like, all right, well, yeah, like, of course, for any course that we take, the first person that's going to get that material is going to be ourselves. You know, if I go to, you know, XYZ course, the first thing I'm going to do is go home and, and try it in my own workout probably before I start giving it to, to clients and whatnot. And, yeah. um, but to then take that experience and say, well, how much of this is, is specific to me? How much did this benefit me because of whatever particular circumstance versus how much of this is just, you know, truly a better mousetrap, uh, which, you know, may or may not be yeah it's good it's it's just great stuff to think about i think we have a we we, we work in a pretty complex industry yeah that we tend to love making more complex than it needs to be it's the you way know? to stand out you know what i mean nobody's like nobody cares if you're like oh hey like here's this thing that everyone's already been doing for years but it's really going to help you you're like oh here's this new exercise i invented like unfortunately in a world of you know like shares and comments um that, yeah. that's what gets more attention and and, and the, the crazier it looks doesn't necessarily mean the better you know or the better right. results it's a really interesting thing it, um it we're gonna have to wrap this up all I, right I, I have other shit that i want to talk to you about so we're gonna have to have you back on sooner than later awesome uh, i can't wait. i love uh this was great we have to do like a catalyst group one too i know joe felt a little weird about maybe coming on solo okay <laughs> but um i uh how can people find you? People can find uh, find me through my website, catalystsportnyc.com. Um, if they're interested in training with us, whatnot, um, meeting me, connecting with me, anything, uh, find me through catalystsportnyc.com. Uh, my email is, is jason at catalystsportnyc.com. Um, if, if anything we said today uh, resonates with you, you got questions, uh, I... I love answering emails from, from people I've never met before. Uh, so shoot me an email. I, I, I would love to uh, hear from you. Awesome. Uh, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Die mighty. <laughs> I was just wearing my die mighty shirt this morning and uh, I should have worn it for the, oh, I guess it doesn't matter. We can't see it anyway, but uh, no, die mighty everybody. But I love the thought Not for a long time. <laughs> hey, um, dude, uh, I've said this to you in person. I've said this to the crew in person. Just thank you so much for supporting me, um, allowing me to train there, hosting, not just hosting me frequently, but like, you know, my first courses as a leader, like definitely for the RKC, the HKC, DVRT, uh, folks, like literally I got to be the first person other than Josh Hankin to lead a DVRT level one course. And it happened at uh, Catalyst. And I'm going to put this out here and, you know, it, it's, 
in the kettlebell world, I think that the, the political bullshit of which side is better has, has dwindled a lot over the years. Yeah. But at the time, um, people that were not paid employees by one group were getting pressured or, uh, you know, to not support another. And these guys really stood by me when they, they, they could have gotten some flack from that. And yeah, people will like to deny that shit. And I think it's a sad part of like what went down and I'm glad to see that dwindling. But like, there was this weird thing of like under talk about like, well, if you host that group, you're not going to get to host this group. And these guys back their friend and uh, I, I will forever love you for it. And I'm just glad that like the success of catalyst and, you know, just seeing how it's grown and the staff, how it, the staff has evolved. I've said this, not maybe not on the podcast, but I used to say this all the time when people ask, like, where do you train? Catalyst has one of the top staffs in, not, if not New York State, the fucking East Coast. Like, it's just one of those gyms, and there's a handful of them in New York that just, like, top to bottom are stellar. And you guys have one of them, you know? And uh, I really appreciate it. And it, it's, it's reaffirming and fun for me as a trainer to go into a gym and be like, I'm not going to have to explain some rando crap to one of my clients, but also to be inspired seeing good cueing, good movements, new stuff like we talked about. It's just rad. So um, not just to you, but also to, you know, Joe and Kathy and Fabian and Jackie and Spencer and Omari and like the whole, and Paul, uh, you know, the whole crew. I hope I'm that, you know, uh, Kento, Jake, Lee, Jake, maybe not so much, Jake. You, I'm fine. <laughs> I love you, Jake Altman. I love you, Jake Dr. Altman. Um, we'll get you on the show too, Jake. Um, just thank you for everything. And, uh, dude, we'll talk soon. Thank you, man. The feeling's mutual. Thanks so much for having me on. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.